Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks in the world who are on a mission to obtain freedom. What is freedom? We're about to find out. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited entrepreneur who has been chasing freedom her entire life. Beside me is my co-host, Jackie Asel, the anchor who keeps me grounded. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Clock Out the Vicarious Life. As always, you know, I am so excited because today we have Ralph Velasco and he is a travel photographer, a veteran tour organizer, a small business owner, an entrepreneur, a third generation restaurateur, a YouTuber, an author, and a private pilot. We have so much to talk about here, Ralph, but thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Tracy. Yeah, my gosh, my pleasure. You are basically the definition of the type of guest I like to have on this show because the things that you do, according to your bio, are the things that I personally would absolutely love to live vicariously through. Um, And I know we don't all have the same interests in life, but yours parallel very much with mine. So I'm very excited to dig into all of the things that that you've got. Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit about you, your, you know, your background, where you came from, and I guess then we can roll into how you got into the businesses that you are operating. Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm location independent, which is really just a, a nice way of saying intentionally homeless. And <laughs> so I, I, I live on the road for the most part, uh, leading my tours, scouting them and, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but uh, I'm originally from Chicago and I'm based here when I'm not on the road, which is when there's not a pandemic, I usually am on the road for eight or nine months, uh, but I uh, minimized about 10 or 12 years ago, I guess, uh, where uh, I was on the road so much that I finally realized that why am I paying rent 12 months out of the year when I was I was living in Southern California at the time and you know one of the most expensive places in the world and I was only there three months of the year so oh, wow. finally got smart and uh, said okay I'm gonna do this new thing that has this new name called being location independent or uh-huh. a digital nomad so uh, I did that like I said about 10 12 years ago and uh, that was one of the best feelings ever is to kind of get rid of all the, the fluff. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, it, and the way that happened is, uh, you know, not only the financial part of it, but I, w- I remember specific- exactly where I was. I could take you there. Um, <laughs> I was in uh, scouting in Toledo, Spain, and I was walking down the street uh, to my, probably an Airbnb at the time. And I said, uh, you know, I've got my bag and I've got my carry on bag and I'm like this is all I need I've been on the road for two three months now you know sure what does it matter if it's two or three months or you know two or three years really yeah so um yeah I said you know this is crazy so I I, I went um I minimized and uh, so but I've uh, like you mentioned I, I was a restaurateur third generation my grandparents my parents and and I've had a couple of restaurants and so I've always been a traveler uh, since I was 15. I studied in uh, Madrid, Spain for a summer. Next year, I was a volunteer in Peru that summer. 
Next year, I was a volunteer in Venezuela. And the next year, I studied in Mexico City for a summer. And so from a young age, I've been traveling on my own, um, you know, fair amount. And and then uh, I went to Indiana University, got a, a, a business degree in uh, small business and entrepreneurship and uh, bought a restaurant right out of school. And uh, so did that for a couple of years. And so before I do anything else, I want to take a round the world trip. And this was back in 1988, which of course was before the internet, Mm. before mobile, mobile phones, practically before the wheel. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so very analog, and so I put together this uh, five-month trip on five continents to 15-some countries, and as you can imagine, one of the great experiences of my life. Yeah. And then I kind of followed a more traditional route um, with business, and then eventually I moved to Mexico City, where I got my master's in international business at about 30, and um, that's that takes us to age 30. <laughs> wow. I'm a couple follow-up questions on that before we go from 30 on. Um, so mm-hmm. tell me, tell me about going minimalist. How, how was that process? Like what was some of the struggles or the harder things you had, or just because it was maybe such a slow process, like a gradual process, maybe there was no struggles. Um, to a degree it was, I, I, um, you know, I had like 600 CDs and I had who knows how many books and stuff like that. Now all that stuff's in the, in the cloud and digitized. And, you know, that wasn't an option, you know, uh, 20 years ago. But uh, 10 years ago when I did it, it was becoming an option. So I donated, gave away or sold what I could. And uh, it was a, a wonderful feeling. But um uh, you know, I obviously kept all the things that were of any real personal importance, old notebooks and pictures and stuff like that. Those are things you can't replace. But, mm-hmm. you know, now I walk around with an iPad mini and I've got all those books and my iPhone has all that music on it. So to me, that's just great. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. For sure. So do you just keep like those personal items? Do you do you tug those along or they, they're in Chicago with you and you're place oh yeah no they're they're uh you know they're in storage at gotcha. uh, in my mom's basement actually okay <laughs> yeah. so, so have a mom's yeah. basement that's helpful <laughs> that yeah. helps that helps a lot yeah it's it's crazy i i'm exploring the whole minimalism thing as well and i'm getting rid of I, we, we you know we my husband and i got rid of all the things that we just if we haven't used it in a year year and a half um we, we've gotten rid of it just knowing that we're we're trying to transition into this partial you know living a little bit in the van a little bit here in montana finding other places and just traveling because we're getting ready to to retire mm-hmm. soon and uh, the, nice. the process has been a little bit interesting because i the things that i thought that would be which by the way i don't have a lot of stuff and i've never really attached to things too much but it's interesting these little things that pop up when when I was getting rid of my weightlifting set I had a moment and I'm like oh my gosh this is and I haven't used my weightlifting set 
really, really ever because I worked out in a gym all the time. <laughs> like I, I did. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I was like a, a weightlifter in a gym. So I'm like, why am I struggling to get rid of this, this uh, barbell set? And it's so funny when you, you start digging into it, how much your identity is wrapped up in things. And it, it's kind of like a little bit of a therapy session while you're, <laughs> while you're uh, unloading crap, not only physical crap, you're unloading a lot of uh, emotional baggage as well. So I, Absolutely. I can imagine that's a lot of that. Uh, when you got rid of it, it felt amazing. I'm sure that there's many layers to that statement. It's very freeing to do that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, second question I had on the, on your background was traveling as a student. You said that you started at 15 and you basically went somewhere every year for volunteer time. Was, is that something that you did through your school or was it something like, how were your parents with that and what kind of trips were you were you doing? Yeah, they were very on board with it. Uh, they trusted me and they enjoyed travel themselves. Uh, I think they wish they could have done it when they were young, but you know, that just wasn't an option. And so, uh, they were very supportive and happy to see me, me go and have these incredible life experiences. But the, uh, the Peru volunteer and the Spain summer programs were through my high school mm. and the uh, Venezuela was through a group called Amigos de las Americas and they put, uh, they placed students all over the world and uh, I got a, a real plum assignment to go to Venezuela mm. um, and especially now that Venezuela is pretty much off limits and has been for quite a while so I'm glad to have gotten there when I did. Sure. And, um, yeah, and then the uh, Mexico was through my college, through Indiana University. Gotcha. Okay. So these are things like, did you have to do some fundraising or were your parents able to help? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And those, yeah, man, I, sure. you know, th- those are still, I, I think those programs are still readily available, but I have noticed yeah. over the last, so maybe it's, it's probably a lot of COVID, but I just feel like a lot of those programs are start with the, with the exception of exchange students. I feel like so many of those programs are, are going away in our area at least. And boy, that's something I'd love to see stick around for the sake of, you know, opening your eyes to all the different things that are out there as a, as a kid. So yeah, you are sure, right. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think there's anything better than travel for education, of especially young people and learning from an early age that there's a, a big, big world out there that's really not that big. It's, you know, we're all the same, and but to be able to learn from other cultures and people is uh, just invaluable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a gift for sure. Um, how many languages do you speak? I speak Spanish and some English. Oh, so. <laughs> <Some> English. <laughs> you're funny. I like that. <laughs> Got that. <laughs> <I did. laughs> okay, yeah, so no, only Spanish. Okay, well, mm-hmm. so then how do you how do you make it in all of these countries with, I mean, just translators or do you? I mean, I guess maybe we'll get there because we're going to start probably moving into from thirty on. But you got to fill me in on how you survive without speaking all the languages. Yeah, when I go, you know, the truth is the uh, like I said, the world's getting smaller. So to a degree, that means that a lot more people are speaking English, and it's the language of business around the world. And we were fortunate or unfortunate enough to have been born into that language. Uh, I like to think fortunate, of course, but um, you know, uh, but uh, 
yeah, I, I think a lot of people around the world do speak English, and when they don't, you know, it's it's fun to just try to figure it out with uh, sign language and you know facial expressions <laughs> and pointing and stuff, and sure. you know, everyone always gets by. So there's you know, there are other forms of communication than just language, and to me, it's a, a part of the travel experience, of course, and that's what I love about it is the you know the the different money systems and traditions and you know all those kinds of things foods and languages all that stuff is uh, uh, such a big part of travel and and a you know, big part of the reason that I I mean I love our our country the US and uh, all the variety that there is to see here but um, you know for the most part everyone speaks the same language uh, and so I um, I, those are all the different things that make travel to me fun and challenging and, you know, just great. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's start at age 30 then. Is this when you started to create your multiple companies that you have? No, uh, I say it only took me 45 years to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> Most people never do. Uh, so there was uh, some other jobs and things in between there and other travel too. But uh, at, let's see. So when I was studying in Mexico City, I ended up finishing at, I moved to San Diego where my school was actually based. Mm. Uh, at the time, I was told that it was the only American accredited, American accredited school in all of Latin America uh, was this one in, in Mexico City. i be honest, I'm not entirely sure if that's 100% true, but it, um, this, the school that I went to Mexico through was based in San Diego. So I moved to San Diego and finished up there, got my MIBA, Master's in International Business. And started working for uh, another university and uh, ended up moving back to Chicago, opened my second restaurant. Mm. And that's kind of where this next phase of my life happened. Where So I opened that restaurant in September of 2001, which we all know what happened on 9-11-2001. Sure. And, uh, I don't know if I said I opened it in September, but I opened it in May of 2001, but we all know what happened in gotcha. September. And so, you know, opening a brand new restaurant in downtown Chicago right after 9-11 was not the best decision. Um, of course, no one knew yeah. what was going to happen, but, uh, you know, the, the, the city kind of closed down for quite a few months thinking that Chicago might be next or, you know, any other big city might be next. Mm. But uh, I ended up introducing catering, and that kind of brought me back. And uh, so the, I, I had an initial three-year lease on that restaurant, and I had to decide if I was going to sign for another five years or I was going to sell and do something else. Mm. And so I took a, a yellow pad, and on the left side I wrote cons, the cons of what I was doing. Um, I had to have a very expensive rent every month for this physical space. I had employees. I was selling something that, uh, you know, people consumed and could make them sick. I came home smelling like a French fry every night. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. So on the right side, I, I said, what are the opposite of those things? Um, you know, I 
don't want to have a rent. I don't want to have employees. I only want to count on myself. I want to take a shower before work, not after. Um, you know, so all these things that uh, pointed me to, you know, some sort of a one-man business or one-person business. And uh, now this was at the what I call the dawn of digital photography was like the early 2000s. And people were starting to hear about and buy these little one megapixel cameras and uh, you know so it was, this was a new new thing so I was starting to get into it and learning my camera and I said I bet people would uh, pay me to learn how to use these new digital devices and uh, so I started learning as much as I could about them and I thought I could create some walking tours in Chicago, which is a great city for photography, but maybe only six months out of the year just because of the the weather. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for a way to get back to Southern California. And I started talking to a buddy of mine who was out there. He says, why don't you get your financial services license to be a financial advisor and work for me at a brokerage? And I said, well, at least that would get me out there to make some money and I could maybe teach photography at night and on weekends. Sure. So I did just that. And um, I just started, uh, you know, those quarterly sort of magazines or brochures you get maybe from the local city for adult education. Yeah. They do it in almost every every town. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I would get the one from Newport Beach where I was living and uh, yeah, I would look, leaf through it if there was anything I wanted to take. And so I started seeing these, you know, di- people teaching digital photography. And so I said, uh, well, there's guys already teaching the camera, you know, how to use the cameras, which was my idea. And I mm-hmm. still wanted to learn, but um, no one's teaching you how to see. And I, say that there's a there's a big difference in looking at something and seeing it Mm. and so I wanted to teach people to develop their photographic eye and that was actually the name of my first book is uh, on travel photography uh, 101 tips for developing your photographic eye Mm. as a subtitle and uh, so I started getting some gigs with these uh, city Newport Beach, Saddleback College, Santa Ana College, University of California, Irvine Extension program. So adult education where I didn't need a degree to teach. And uh, that was a great way for me to, you know, teaching is the best way to learn. And it also got me in front of a very specific group of people that were interested in photography and probably travel. And so I started creating walking tours around there, and I, I had, I must have had at least twenty or twenty-five different walking tours uh, throughout Southern California, from San Diego up to Santa Barbara. And uh, so that was uh, a great way to get in front of people. And I, just any time I could get in front of someone that might be interested in photography, I felt that it was a you know, potential for someone that could maybe come on a trip one day. And I really don't even know if, how much I was thinking about do, doing international trips. It's not like I had this grand business plan. But anyway, to make a long story longer, um, 
September 2008, we all know what happened then. September's not a good month for us. No, it doesn't um, sound like it. <laughs> Skip it next year. Yeah, right. Uh, we had the financial crisis in mm-hmm. September of 2008, and here I am, a newbie financial advisor. Man, and, are uh, you causing yeah. these crises? Jeez. Yeah, right. I know. Stop. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my buddy, who had been in this business for 25 years, uh, saw his business go down like 90%. And here I am trying, you know, trying, oh. takes years to build a business and as a financial advisor. So I was like, you know what, this is a sign. And the next day after the financial crisis, I burned all the bridges and I just went full time uh, doing the photography and walking tours. I had already started doing a couple overnight trips to like Joshua Tree National Park, Death Valley, started bringing some groups back to Chicago just to get a free ride back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I said, okay, I'm just going to go this way and make this happen. And I wasn't making a full-time living at the photography part, but, uh, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. And so we financially, we were okay, but, uh, I, you know, just pursued this full time and it took a while, but, um, that next year, 2009, I did my first international trip was, which was to the, uh, central European Christmas markets. Oh, wow. And that was fun and kind of never looked back. So tell me what that was. So tell me about the international component. So what does that look like now? Your website, I was like ready to just sign up. I'm like, yep, I'm doing this. <laughs> but there's Let's more. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm down. This is, it looks incredible. So tell our <laughs> listeners, what do you do? What's your services provide internationally? Yeah. So right now I have two travel brands. So back then I, I started my company. It was uh, initially called just RalphAlasco.com. I had a you know, website at RalphAlasco.com. Mm-hmm. And then I realized early on, I said, I can't make this all about me because if I decide to sell this business someday, no one's going to want RalphAlasco.com, you know? Right. Um, so I changed the name to Photo Enrichment and uh, Programs which was a little bit, you know, what, what does that mean? Mm. Um, but uh, I eventually changed it to Photo Enrichment Adventures. Mm. And um, that kind of explained a little bit more what it was. But I, um, you know, so I did the 2009 was the Christmas markets. And then I started doing, uh, I became a, a specialist in Cuba. Mm. And so I had ran uh, about 18 trips to Cuba they, these were fully licensed, you know, OFAC approved, the t- itineraries and everything above board because uh, it is it is illegal to go down there um, unless you go on a licensed program. So we were handling all that stuff. And um, so I, I, I used to go four times a year sometimes. Wow. So that, that was uh, really fantastic and it's a wonderful place. So, uh, and then I just started expanding. Uh, I, you know, I've, I get somewhat bored pretty easily. And so, you know, it's like, what's the next place? And sometimes people ask, well, how do you decide where you want to go? Where do you want, where do you put these trips together? And I kind of go to places that I have an interest in because mm-hmm. I feel that I need to be interested in, first of all, if I'm going to sell it to someone sure. and be enthusiastic about it. So, uh, 
you know, started creating trips kind of all over the world and uh, did Egypt, Morocco, all over Europe, India, Bhutan, Nepal, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, uh, just introduced Colombia, Sicily, uh, Finnish and Swedish Lapland. So these are uh, Antarctica I just introduced this year. What? And oh. so, yeah, yeah, so some pretty incredible places. And so I've, I've got a, a great following and a very loyal following and people, uh, one of my clients has been on upwards of 25 of my trips. Oh my goodness. And yeah, and I've got others that have been on 12, 15, many of those and you know, quite a few, you know, five or more. And so I, I've got a very loyal following and they come back uh, year after year at about, so about 50% repeat rate. So on any one of my trips, about half the people are, have traveled with me before. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's a pretty good number because if that's too high, you know, if it's a hundred percent, then you're not growing. If it's zero, then it means you know, no one's wanting to come back. Yeah, for sure. So I, yeah, so I think it's a, a, a good sign that number. And, uh, so I'm constantly, it, it's very expensive to create new trips because I always go there first by myself or, you know, with a local tour operator, tour guide that takes me around. I tell them exactly what I'm looking for. They show me everything. I get my pictures and videos, and then that's what I can use for marketing, my website, et cetera. Sure. And, um, yeah, but those those are expensive to, to do those trips. It's time consuming. It costs money. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so I'm I'm doing that less and less because now I have like 30 itineraries, but I can only do 10 or 12 trips a year. Sure. Um, so I'm constantly rotating them. Maybe some fall off the back end, or I bring them back later. It just depends. Yeah. So is are so I do about 10 or 12 group? I'm sorry, I do about 10 or 12 group trips a year on on average. Okay. And are these group trips still photography oriented or are they just, just tourist in, you know, just trips in general? Yeah. Great question. Um, I I feel like I shot myself in the foot years ago when I called it photo enrichment because initially I, I, I thought I wanted to do photo workshops. And then I found out what a photo workshop is, <laughs> you know, really. <laughs> it, doesn't, it wasn't yeah. very fun or? <laughs> yeah. The thing is that it, they're, they're like, you know, every sunrise, every sunset, image reviews, one-on-ones, oh. you know, long days and uh, for 10 or 12, 14 days. That's um, one thing if you're participating in one of those trips a year, but if you have to lead 10 or 12 of those kinds of trips, it's, I, I realized it's not what I wanted to do. Gotcha. So um, very quickly, I uh, soon came to call my trips cultural tours with a focus on photography. Mm. So photography was a part of the trip, but I always had people that had no cameras or smartphones or, you know, I, I wanted to create a trip where um, say you and your husband, wanted to go but you're interested in photography he's not necessarily but who doesn't want to be out in beautiful lights uh, before the tourist crowds before the heat of the day yeah. uh, before the pickpockets are out you know with us and seeing things in beautiful light yeah. and that's what i talk about I, I say my mom taught me the best skill i could ever have 
with regards to photography, and she's never picked up a camera in her life, and that's simply to be curious. Sure. And, yeah. and so look at look at things differently, and you know, figure out how to compose that. And I I think that uh, you don't have to be born with a photographic eye, although it's nice, but uh, it can be learned. Yeah. Well, and in living like a local, it sounds to me like you're avoiding the tourist trap. So you're getting a more authentic, uh, culturally immersed experience rather than, I mean, uh, to me that that's what I like to do when I travel, but the headache and the stress of trying to actually research that, especially on the internet now where everything is top 10 best places to visit in Italy <laughs> and everybody mm-hmm. else reads the same article. So you, and it, it's just hard unless, you, and so you have done the scouting, the, the pre-work to kind of find those places that you can keep it intimate and feeling like you're immersed with the locals. For sure. And, you know, I, I also learned that, you know, you kind of have to have one sort of anchor thing on a trip, a uh, site or activity or experience, uh, like uh, Cambodia. Cambodia is one of my favorite locations in the world. And uh, and we go to Angkor Wat, which you may have heard of. It's uh, the largest religious complex in the world. It's, it's their equivalent of the Great Pyramids in Egypt or... Machu Picchu in Peru. So to have that sort of anchor site that most people have heard of, but then it's filling it in with, uh, you know, tuk-tuk adventures. So tuk-tuks are sort of a motorcycle with the four seats and back. Mm. It's open air and gets pulled around by a guy. And uh, so I, I hire those for my group. And my groups are anywhere from six to 10 people, even down to four people on some of them. Oh, wow. So they're very small groups, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hire tuk-tuks for us, and we just go out into the countryside and we see what we can see. Uh, we pull over. I always sit in the front one so that I can – I'm always looking for stuff. And I don't know if I see a photo op or, um, you know, some guys pounding out machetes, uh, you know, on a on a anvil or something, or mm-hmm. ladies making rice paper or – a sticky rice and bamboo and you know it's just something really cool yeah. that hey let's pull over and get some shots maybe try the sticky rice and you know it, it's uh it's stuff like that and it's meeting the locals it's getting into their workshops and homes maybe having a cup of tea mm. or, or lunch um so that's why i like a small group uh, it's one of the many reasons but uh, we can be in smaller vehicles, stay in smaller boutique hotels, get into smaller, more, lo- more locals type restaurants and uh, have a much more intimate experience. Because if you're with 25 people or, or even more, some of these companies do 50 people, oh, you know, yeah. what kind of restaurants going to be able to handle that? But some huge tourist trap. Yeah. 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 That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. And I'm, what kind of people tend to come on? your tours. I'm, I'm thinking like if I was going to go by myself on an international trip, this sounds like a really great way to experience things and have the safety of going with other people, even if I don't have, you know, a group of friends I'm going with personally. Um, but what other kinds mm-hmm. of people are attracted to your, your services? Right. You're, you're exactly right. I get a lot of single women on my trip and they might be married, mm-hmm. but 
perhaps their husband's working or has, has no interest and, but they feel safety in numbers. They know everything's planned out for them. They're not by themselves. They, you know, there's always someone to go grab a drink with or dinner, you know, on their off time. Mm -hmm. And my trips are about half day scheduled, half day free time. And I always try to, yeah. And I always try to schedule that because, uh, uh, you know, especially for the photography, I say travel photography is two words. Spend as much time traveling as you are photographing. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes we spend the whole two weeks with our eye against the viewfinder and sure, we got some nice shots. Technically, we were there, but were we really there? Yeah. You know, did we really experience this place? So I'm a huge proponent of put the camera down. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, the photo workshops are like they've got their cameras with them a hundred percent of the time always shooting and to me that's that's not really travel uh, at least in my opinion sure so uh absolutely uh so the the age tends to be about 40s plus on these trips and i get the the most wonderful people i mean i become like best friends with my clients and you know, especially the ones that come back over and over again, because they know me, they know I put together a great trip. They know I'm fun, that I, you know, I'm, I, I have a good time and I'm, I'm going to take care of them. And I, they know the level of the hotels that I always use and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the types of experiences I provide. So they trust me. And, you know, once you, uh, and that, I think that's hard because, you know, you got to spend a lot of money to go test out this guy or that gal that leads a trip. And, you know, and if, if it's off, then you just, you know, spent five or eight grand or whatever it is and, you know, maybe didn't have the best experience. So when you find someone that you like and you have had a good experience with, you're probably going to want to go back with them over and over again. And now what's really fun is I mentioned all those people that have been on many, many of my trips. They all know each other. Oh, I'm sure. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I've got a trip coming up to Columbia in about a month. And this happens to be 10 pe- uh, actually nine out of 10 people have traveled with me before on this one. On that, that happens a lot on the first trip because uh-huh. I do the trips maybe three, four, five times over the years. But as soon as I announce a new trip, my old clients all want to jump on it, you know? So, um, so this happened, but everyone knows each other except for this one woman. And it's just so fun because, uh, you know, they, there's already a history there and it's mm-hmm. not like, uh, you know, they don't know the personalities of each other because sometimes, you know, you get a, a maybe a bad egg or something. People ask, you know, have you ever had any problems with people on a trip? And I say, there, you know what, there's always one on a trip. Yeah. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably it's you. Probably- so funny (laughs) yeah Yeah. well I think your stats are probably about right I think anytime I've ever gone on a tour you know you go wherever I was just in Costa Rica and we jumped on it on a boat or whatever and there you're right like there is always one on every even if it's a three-hour tour there's one on there you're like oh there she is god is she gonna yap this whole time oh my god is she ever happy Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but the, the, yeah, the truth is, like I said, I've done over 120 trips and I've probably had 10 people that have mysteriously fallen off my list because, mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I just know that they don't fit in and don't need them to come back. But uh, it's rare. And so I think 
another thing I learned was that, you know, be as open as possible about what the trip entails, mm. how active it is, where it's going, where we're staying, because people will filter themselves out. Yes. You know, um, so it tends to filter out the people. Plus, uh, uh, you know, I just talked about doing half day scheduled, half day free time. Not everyone likes that. Mm. Uh, they some people need to be handheld twelve hours a day, and they filter themselves out. That person is probably not going to be super happy on my trip sure. because there's you know half day of you know hey you got to go out on your own or you you know but who I personally I the more I travel. I am so much more satisfied just sitting in a cafe, watching the world go by, sitting on a bar stool, talking to local yep. guys or whatever, and just experiencing the place that way. Yeah. Yep. That's, mm-hmm. that's exact. That is my exact same favorite thing about traveling. Cause sometimes I get done uh, with a trip and I'm thinking, but I didn't do too much, but those are the ones that are the most memorable because you had great conversations with, like you said, a local, or you just, you, you really observed the, 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 the culture in that specific little, little town. And, oh my God, the coffee shop that I sat in, like when I got back from Costa Rica, that was like my favorite experience of that whole trip was this little tiny coffee shop that I sat in and got to, to see. Cause I'm like, man, this is just so cool. And just people watched <laughs> of all the cool things. I'm like, exactly. yeah, people watching, that was the best. So yeah, for sure. very, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, well, as we kind of start to wrap this up, what's next? Are you, I mean, cause you're, you're a solo guy, you're working, you know, as an individual that was on your, your con list was having employees and such. I, are you, do you have any plans on, uh, cause you, you seem to be the king of pivoting. Are, are you going to continue <laughs> on the route you're on or anything coming up in the future for you? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I mentioned the or the uh, photo enrichment adventures and how those are more uh, photography based, but still, it's just a part of the trip. It's not a workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some of my clients were asking me uh, to create slower moving trips that were more of a deep dive into a place than, uh, like my Morocco trip. We probably it was a fourteen day trip, but we probably stayed in five or six locations. There might have been days where we were, you know, driving six to eight hours to get from one location to the next. Mm -hmm. And so um, I decided to create this new brand called A La Campagna Experiences. Mm. And A La Campagna in Italian means to the countryside. And it's actually my mother's maiden name is Campania. So it's kind of a little uh, homage to her as well. Yeah, Yeah, coincidentally. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so I decided to create this new brand where we stay in one, maybe two locations and do a deep dive. And so there's less packing and unpacking. Mm -hmm. And uh, like on my France trip, we stay at an 11th century castle that is like out of a postcard and it's on 270 acres of grounds. It's got the most incredible landscaping, swimming pool. And my thought with that was that, you know, when we travel, we usually can't wait to get out of the hotel. You know, you feel like you're wasting your trip if you're sitting in the hotel. Sure. But what if your hotel is an 11th century castle that's like a museum inside and has 270 acres of grounds to hike and 
you know, whatever, um, or, uh, you know, some wine estate in the Dodo Valley of Portugal or a beautiful boutique hotel and, you know, wherever, or Agriturismo in Puglia, Italy, which is where we go there. That's the heel of Italy. Mm. And um, so you may not want to always be leaving because the, the hotel is a destination. Sure. So I created these trips, and then we, we stay, let's say, like um, in France, we stay at the castle the whole time, so seven nights, which sounds like a lot, but of course we're doing little day trips, but they're only a half hour away to the next village or an hour to go see 20,000-year-old cave paintings sure. or let's go uh, – a caviar tasting. They actually have freshwater sturgeon farms there where we go caviar tasting. And they specialize in walnut and hazelnut oil there, not olive oil. So we go see how that's processed. And, you know, those kinds of things that uh, people really appreciate. And then we come back to this incredible castle. Mm. So, and, it, and uh, it, it's one quick little story, but it's, yeah, it um, it, it's, it's actually owned by uh, a guy named Miles Copeland. Do you happen to recognize that name? I, it sounds familiar. Well, his brother, Stuart Copeland, is the drummer for the police. Okay. I remember All with right. Staying and, yeah. Yeah, Staying and uh, those guys uh, back in the early 80s. And so Miles started IRS Records. He uh, was pretty much one of the founding members of the police. He was kind of like the fourth member. Mm-hmm. And he discovered... REM and the Bangles and the Go-Go's and a bunch of, you know, like early 80s bands. Well, he sold IRS and bought this castle. So he owns this castle and he's there. And he sent me an email out of the blue and said, hey, my name's Miles Copeland. Uh, I own a castle in southwestern France. We're starting to bring some groups here. Um, Would you be interested in coming? I see that you do tours. And he had just Googled, I guess, you know, photographers or something. And I'm like, this can't be the Miles Copeland I've heard of because I'm, I, I love the eighties music, you know, sure, who does and it? sure enough it was. Yeah. So <laughs> sure enough it was. And, uh, now we've become, you know, uh, good friends and, and, uh, he loves to tell all the old stories. So it's a really fun place. And, you know, he's got his gold record room there and it, the place is literally a museum. It's, he, he said he bought it with a table and two chairs in it. What? And oh now, after like 30 years, it is absolutely chock-filled with just gorgeous, mostly gothic yeah. type of furniture and tapestries and rugs <sighs> and all kinds. Of, it's, it's absolutely amazing. That is so awesome. that's that's kind of that's just a super add-on to that trip is that Miles is with us and yeah. you know he he has dinner with us every night and loves to answer all the questions and tell all the stories. It's pretty cool. Wow. He actually, oh I'll tell you, he, yeah, he just wrote a book, uh, like a biography, his biography over COVID. That's what he did. Uh-huh. And uh, he gave me a copy of it when we were there last, just this last May. And he gave me a copy of it. He wrote in it something to the effect of, to Ralph, the only man with a more interesting life than me, yeah. <laughs> Miles. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't think so, but that was very kind of you. <laughs> Well, I think I agree. I think that's, I mean, gosh, I could sit here all day and listen to these stories. I'm like, this is, you're like the perfect, perfect person for this show. I mean, man, I want to live your life. That's for sure. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. 
Cool. So, so this yeah. is a more immersive, cultural, stay all in one spot type of trip. I'm, I'm creeping on there right now, and it looks like you've got a little the option for pre-trip if people want to to tag along and extend out their trips a little bit. Um, some of them, yeah. Some of, some them. of them, like uh, yeah, like my Spain trip, we stay in two locations for four nights each. Mm-hmm. But there's a Barcelona extension if someone wanted to add that on. So mm-hmm. some of my trips have an optional extension. But I, I figure that a lot of people, like my Puglia, Italy trip, uh, we don't go to Rome. But, you know, some people haven't been. And so they want to just do that on their own or something. But sure. we handle the more, you know, countryside type stuff. Mm. A la campagna. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I just know that guests are, are you know, Listeners are probably kind of curious. So what's what's the average price if somebody wanted to tag along on a, a week-long, week-and-a-half-long trip with you? Yeah, because the, the trips do vary from a week to two weeks, the prices vary uh, somewhat. But uh, typically, they start around 4000 per person in double occupancy. Then there, uh, there's probably a single supplement if someone wants to travel on their own. Uh, we try to put people together if... Uh, they're open to rooming with someone same sex, uh, you know, get two single women or something, and they want to save the single supplement. I have no problem with that. Put them mm-hmm. together, and I always put them in touch with each other first, so that we know that there's a fit. You know, they get to talk to each other, yeah. learn each other's travel styles and stuff, and then they kind of make the decision. I don't just put them together, and uh, so that works out real well. But um, you know, typically anywhere from four thousand to uh, six thousand. Uh, just depending on the trip, the length of it, uh, you know, some of the longer trips might even be less expensive some, than some of the shorter trips. Like Cambodia, uh, I've been able to keep that trip, 14-day trip, to $4,000 for like seven years. Wow. And I just had to raise it for this year to maybe 4400 or something. Sure. But, uh, you know, there's some countries that are just less expensive to travel to than others, of course. Sure. And is that, does that include meals? Is that, I'm, I'm assuming people probably fly, meet you there, they pay for their own travel. And then once they get there, is that meals for only on the adventures and then they're on their own for their free time? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, pretty much. But uh, so we handle everything from picking you up at the airport in the destination to dropping you off at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't include all meals so that people can go out and explore on their own. Mm-hmm. I always say no one ever goes hungry on my trips. So uh, you might want to skip a meal or go high end or go street food, whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, giving, you know, a couple an opportunity to go out on their own, you know, Hey, let's uh, find the three star restaurant in town and do that on our own. You know, you don't feel like you have to be with the group all the time. Sure. Uh, so, but more often than not, you know, everyone says, hey, who's going to dinner tonight? And eight people raise their hand and they all go to the same place, but but they don't have to. And uh, so um, that's that's the thing. But it's everything. Uh, uh, airport transfers, all accommodations, transportation within the country, even including flights. Uh, so that that Cambodia trip even includes an internal flight. Okay. My Vietnam trip includes two two internal flights. But people are coming from all over the world. They want to go first class, use different airlines. So sure. um, I just tell you where to be. Uh, so, you know, trip starts at 7 o'clock uh, on this evening. 
try to get there by three o'clock that afternoon so you can get from the airport to the hotel in a reasonable time and be ready to go at seven o'clock. Yeah. Some people want to go a couple of days early, stay a few days late, use one of those extensions. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, pretty much includes everything. So people end up not spending a lot of money at all when they get there because yeah. uh, it's all it's all handled. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that seems pretty reasonable for for a trip like that internationally. It doesn't, I mean, it's half of what I expected you to say. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. No. Now, my Antarctica trip, that's a different story. Because yeah, well. um, we actually fly down to Antarctica from uh, Punta Arenas, Chile. Mm. We don't sail down. We don't go on a ship from mainland South America to Antarctica. We actually fly in two hours instead of taking the notoriously rough Drake passage for mm. two and a half, three days each way. And so uh, you may have even heard on the news recently, uh, someone was killed on this huge cruise ship that got hit by a rogue wave, I think back in October oh my or November. Yeah. And going across that Drake passage. So this is a way to just fly down there. And then it's a 67 person boat or ship down there. Ugh. So very small. Yeah. And because some of these cruise ships are upwards of two, three thousand people. And there's a rule down in Antarctica that I think it's less, less than a hundred people can even get off at any one landing point. Oh, wow. You know, just for environmental reasons. So I got to think that either they do it in shifts or they just kind of wave at the icebergs as they go by because yeah. they don't even get off the ship. Yeah, that doesn't sound So fun. that's a, yeah, that's a much more pricey trip, but, uh, you know, I've got people going on it that are just like, man, I've been waiting for a trip that I didn't have to sail down there, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but uh, um, the other, I was going to say something else about, oh, just uh, earlier you'd mentioned about, you know, not having to do the research yourself and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister and my cousin are going with me to Puglia, Italy this year, and they were over the other day to... Uh, asked me about Rome and some friends of ours that had lived in Rome. And, you know, they're sitting there just, my my cousin had spreadsheets and Gosh. links and her computer out and all kinds of stuff. And I, I sat there and I just said, wait a minute, guys, this is exactly why people come on my trip. Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, Cause we've got worst. everything laid out for you and you just show up and, you know, people that are working, they just don't have the time to put yeah. weeks and weeks into into to the research and you know we handle it all and you know that i've been there and mm-hmm. that i've vetted everything and uh it's going to be a great trip so oh, yeah. but they're doing a little add-on to rome rome is like i said not included in that trip so sure and i don't blame them but uh it was just so funny how it kind of kind of hit me over the head i'm like this is exactly why people come on my trips <laughs> oh well so i i'm like a very free-spirited person i don't like agendas i don't like planning i like to just kind of see how it goes uh you, you know my mm-hmm. husband's not that way and most people i think that I, I i'm a nightmare to travel with if i'm in charge because i don't plan i'm like ah we'll figure it out when we get there well then you get there and it's <laughs> you know 11 p.m i've done no research and there's you know no no nobody available to pick you up i'm like oh shit you know this is <laughs> This is Harry. And then it's like, oh, we'll find something on the side of the road. And, you know, you eat. I'm like, that looks great. You eat there and then you, you drive a block further and you find out that there's this amazing place that we should have gone. Because, I, you know, I just I hate researching. I hate. Oh, my God. Just even I have an assistant, a full time assistant. I'm like, girl, I need I'm going here. I, I just get me a flight. Get me a hotel. Don't ask me any questions. I cannot stand 
stand planning logistics and any so I, I don't even like talking to the airline people I ugh. so yeah the, your that's your so trips fun. are like a dream to somebody like me that's just like high stress you know you're you're go 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 all day every day and when I'm taking a vacation the last thing I'm gonna do is kill myself for three weeks trying to plan and then the worst part are people like me that have a million options that's where it's super stressful because I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I can only fit this into seven days and I've got 4 million options. Oh, what if I pick the wrong restaurant? And then the whole family's mad at me. Oh, what if I pick the wrong <laughs> whatever? And then it's it's the stress of worrying if my own expectations are going to be met where if somebody else planned it, I'm like, ah, super, my <laughs> perfect. I'm not, you know, I'm not stressed about it. It's, it's going to be what it's going to be and then I can truly just enjoy the experience. So it's genius. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and what's nice about my trips is that they provide a framework for a wonderful trip. So for someone like you who doesn't like a schedule, there, there is a framework for it, but there's still that flexibility during the free time right. to do your own thing. Or you can, you know, no one has to do anything on our trip. So you want to skip something, yeah. that's fine too. Right. So uh, it's, a, it's a really good midpoint. Yeah, no, I think it's a genius business. I, I just genius. I think you've you've done amazing things. I'm gonna follow you and do all of the deep dive research <laughs> into all of these these inner workings. I think it's just a phenomenal business plan. But is there anything right. else that you would like to share with our listeners besides we'll get to your contact info and where they can find you, but is there anything else that you want to share about your life or about recommendations for travel? Any final words? You know. You know, one thing I would like to mention is uh, my new YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And for, for people that want to do research, uh, they can go to my YouTube channel, which uh, you can go to youtube.com slash continental drifter. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the channel, continental drifter. And there I've got over a hundred videos uh, of me around the world, uh, many to the places that I go. And so if people want to get a feel for my trips, they can go there. And I just got back from Cambodia. And so some of the most recent videos are of Cambodia. So you could go there and get a real good feel for me and the trips and some of the things that we'll be doing. There's a cooking class. There's a market walk. Uh, my One of my most recent videos is uh, how to make money drinking beer in Cambodia. Ugh, who doesn't and, want to know that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's kind of a spoof because I they've got this contest where when you pop the top off of a beer, you always look at it and you can win another beer or I actually won two twenty dollar uh, awards. You know, I just you bring wow. them into the local shop and you give them the pop top and uh, which they do still have there. And uh, <laughs> I got forty bucks. Well, I'm sure that stretches <laughs> or, a ways I, there, huh? No, oh, yeah, exactly. Yep, for sure. So, uh, yeah, a little fun stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, there's some trip trip summaries there so people can get a real good. And if they go to my website, I typically will put those videos on that trips page so you can get to a lot of them there. Fun. But uh, the YouTube channel has been something really fun and something that I was able to do during COVID. I've been wanting to do it for a long, long time. Mm. Just didn't have the time. And so uh, that was one of the positives of COVID was it it gave me time to really focus on that because it takes a lot of time. As you know, it's, uh, it's like a video version of a podcast. Sure. So it's, uh, there's a lot of hours that go into it every week. Yeah, you know? absolutely. 
No, that's great. And I will make sure I reference that in the show notes. I'll put your websites on right. there. I'll put YouTube on there. Yeah. I've got all your social right. links that are, I look, looks like they're accessed in here as well. So we'll make sure people can do all the creeping and research and maybe you'll get a couple new clients <laughs> out of this and maybe it'll be me. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds pretty fascinating. I would love it. Love, <laughs> love to have you along. You sound like the type of person that uh, would fit right in with my trips. Oh gosh. Yes. Travel is my, oh my God. I've been, I've been raising kids since I was, you know, barely 19 and I'm finally to a point where they're getting old enough and I'm just chomping at the bit to see the whole world and I feel like I need to fit it all in in a couple years but that's just not it I've from I'm I'm almost 40 so I've got plenty of years to travel and I'm going to be creeping on you Mm -hmm. for all these tips (laughs) (laughs) life's too short not to travel that's my tagline (laughs) oh amen Absolutely. Well, Ralph, thank you so much. You've been an absolute pleasure to interview. I'm so grateful for you giving me an hour of your time. And yeah, if anybody has any questions or wants to do further research, just take a peek at our show notes. I'll have all of Ralph's information in there. And until then, thanks again, Ralph. We are clocking out.